Welcome to Reputation Town. Hey, everybody. It's another episode of Reputation Town podcast. This is Warren Weeks, and I'm joined by John. Hey, it's John. <laughs> the usual one. <laughs> We're, we've got the beginnings down so smooth now. It's the last week of summer. We have an election coming up on Monday. I know that you... Yeah, have you voted yet? No, I haven't. Have you? I was, I was planning to, on voting, and then I decided to get a mail-in ballot. I just hope it's going to be here in time. Mm. Like it's Monday. I know. Okay. I should have planned ahead of ahead more. It's interesting that these are the and not to get political, but like it's interesting that this is the best these are the best guys we got. Like this is <laughs> this is the best to choose from. Does it and you're more more astute in the political arena, of course, that than I, but uh it occurs to me that the people who would maybe be best in these roles don't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Yeah. I don't know. There's not, not a lot. Like what's the upside other than exactly. if you're a narcissist or, or just you have a gigantic ego, what's the upside? There's, there's, I think there's, that's a lot of truth. To that. The scrutiny sure. there's more, way more downside than upside. And oh yeah. It, you kind of have to really want the whole lifestyle that goes with it. And man, you really have to want that lifestyle. It's a pretty thankless job. Yeah, you see that Obama yeah. came out and endorsed uh, Trudeau today. I did. I thought that he did that last time too, and I don't know. I just I was kind of put off by it, to be honest. Why? What? What? what how? What, how does it rub you the wrong way? Uh, it's like so. Stick to your knitting, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> What's his knitting these days? Windsurfing and writing books, or like, what should he be doing? Uh. I don't know. You, you I'm not think sure really he's meddling it's, it's because it's to be endorsing because he's like it's the different country. He shouldn't be meddling. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think so. I don't know. What do you think? I I don't know. I would just like to. I, uh, you you need to vote, but then just like it's it's hard. It's hard to pick. Like there, like there's a great example of of somebody using you know strong reputation to try and polish up. A buddy, Obama. So he look, it looks a little better in the yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's like I think arguably his reputation is probably stronger than Trudeau's. Of course, I think that's probably a safe bet. Of course, <laughs> I'd be curious though if Trudeau asked for that. I don't, you know, it doesn't seem to me to be the thing that he would just do voluntarily. Maybe he did, but it seems to me that the campaign reaches out to all these individuals and says, "Can you do it? And can you do it on this day?" Yeah, you're, you're probably right. Which then seems a little more contrived and weaselly. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Fair. Fair point. So there's no hockey right now to comment on. Unfortunately, it's coming soon. But uh, I would like to get your prediction for the election. What's going to happen on Monday? Okay. I knew. <laughs> oh, the election. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I was thought you were going to actually ask my prediction for the Leafs season. Oh, it's too early for that. Okay. I'll park that. Uh, election on Monday. I think we're going to end up with the same, like pretty much the exact same situation we have now. Liber- liberal minority government. And so it was looking like for, for a cup of coffee there a couple of weeks ago, it was looking like things might be going a different direction. Conservatives. Yeah. And do you think but it was the Alberta situation that undid them? That certainly didn't help. <laughs> what a mess. We should have had Grant on this week. <laughs> this is the week. Last week was the, the prelude. That's pretty, 
like I, that was a tough question yesterday. Actually, O'Toole was asked where he said, I guess he had said prior to this, he felt like Alberta had managed COVID better than any other jurisdiction in Canada. Mm. And the question was put to him. So do you still think that? And then I didn't, I think there was like, his answer was a lot of humana, humana, humana. <laughs> a lot you know, of, did, a lot he of didn't really answer. have a great answer. Yeah. Well, how do you, an- you can't yeah. answer that with an well, I think, on Monday. Yeah. That's tough. That's a tough place to be. It just, it actually shows, you know, um, when you th- it made me think about media training and when you train spokespeople not to, um, answer speculative questions when you, when you talk about something that's still unfolding and make it and really anchor yourself to an event that's still unfolding, you're kind of, it's kind of like answering a speculative question yeah. because things are in flux still. They're not in a final state and people have the ability to play the tape for you right? Yeah. more than ever before. So yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Any other, yeah, other than politics. Well, what about you? What's, what's on your mind these days? Uh, I'm trying to stay away from politics as much as possible. The thing that's been obsessing me this week has been Norm Macdonald. So, Oh, I know. As you know, that was shocking news uh, that Norm Macdonald passed away this week. Had no idea. And apparently what a Norm Macdonald thing to do to not tell anybody also that he's struggling with cancer for almost a decade. And I'm going back and watching all these clips and shows, you know, he's on Howard Stern. He's on, he's on Conan O'Brien. He does the special that he did recently. And like, he's struggling with cancer in all of those. And uh, so I've been spending the last couple of nights, you know, on the couch watching Norm Macdonald clips and there are hundreds of them. And so funny, what a funny guy. And even just him getting fired from SNL for just going to town on the, the OJ jokes. And then they told him to stop it and he just doubled down on them. And they were just so deadly. Just uh, what a, what a loss. Yeah. His, his wit was razor sharp. So that's unfortunate, but um, I would, I would recommend it. Like there was a, did you see <laughs> there's, there's um, the monologue when he, so he got fired from Saturday night live and then a year Mm -hmm. and a half later he's on hosting the show and he, his monologue is fantastic because he's basically, and I'm not going to try to impersonate him or anything, but he's basically like, you know, a year and a half ago, I wasn't funny enough to even be in the building, but now I'm funny (laughs) enough to host the show. So how did that happen? And he does it. I I recommend you look that up on, on YouTube because it's amazing. And there's the second best clip would be, He's on Conan O'Brien's show. And do you remember Melrose Place? Of course. And, yeah. uh, that Allison, I think her name was, the blonde woman, Cor- uh, Courtney Thorne Smith. Anyway, so she <laughs> she left Melrose Place, as ridiculous as this sounds, to be in a movie with Carrot Top. And uh, Norm MacDonald was the second guest on the show. So he was like one chair over and he just kept kind of peppering in. It is so funny. You have to look that up. So yeah. I'll do that. Anyway. All right, um, reputation stuff. What uh, we we have a, a a group of kind of little stories to hit on this week. Is there any one of those that you would like to start with? You get your pick. Let's uh, you know what. Let's start with the one that is kind of uh, happening, kind of unfolding now. It's this. It's this uh, Health Canada approval for changing the names of all the COVID vaccines. Right. So, have you memorized all the names? Do you know what they are? I can't, can't even pronounce them. I have trouble pronouncing like normal English. Never mind these made up pharmaceutical names. So um, Health Canada, and and this has been 
done in different countries. I don't know if you know this, but they did this in the States in the summer. And this was done in the EU in the spring. They came up with, and I don't know if the names are the same, but I know that they've come up with brand names for them. So the Pfizer vaccine is called, and I'm going to probably butcher these, Comirnaty, 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 something, anyway, it's something like that. Um, Moderna's is Spikevax, and the AstraZeneca one is Vaxevria, Vaxevria. Anyway, so that's what the, uh, those are the catchy, the catchy Spikevax is actually kind of catchy, but those are the three names. So, a lot of people online, like, why now? This is this is like putting putting up your Christmas lights when your house is on fire. Like, what are you? You're in the middle of the fourth wave. Anti-vaxxers, people are protesting at hospitals, and you have this. You announce this name change. It just. Well, I have to. I have to assume it's just some like brand focus thing where the companies hated the fact that their corporate name was attached to each of these drugs versus the the pharmaceutical brand name they wanted to have attached to them. But, and I know they do this, all the drugs, they make up crazy names and it's just what they do. But I agree with you. Like in the, in the, in the scheme of greater scheme of things, public health communication continues to be so uh, confusing in terms of what are the rules, rules changing, you know, advice is constantly changing do we really need to change the names of these things to something people can never even pronounce? Although spike facts, that is pretty it's good. Pretty spike facts. Sounds pretty cool. I kind of regret not getting spike facts. I got one of those. I got a spike facts and I got a vax. It's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. And I understand the need to do this. And uh, you know, there's, there's, there's licenses and, and deadlines for different things, but just the timing kind of sucks. Um, you know, you would think do it at the very beginning or do it after everybody's kind of better and it's super yeah. needed anymore. But there's just so much turmoil and propaganda and anti-vax just stuff being sent to people through social media that this is not going to um, make people more confident in it. Like, oh, the change of the name has got to be different stuff in it. You know, like it's just, it's just yeah. it just seems like a, it's, a, it's a government thing to do. It seems like a Health Canada kind of thing to do. Yeah, well... I don't know. Obviously, the pharmaceutical companies are one instigating it, but I don't know. It just, it just, I, I agree with you. Timing wise, it's like, why, why do this now? Mm-hmm. Why do this now? Just, uh, yeah, I even look at the, you know, the, the rules here in, our, in Ontario, you know, they, they brought in, reluctantly brought in vaccine passport rules. And then a couple of days later announced a bunch of exemptions to the rules. Mm. And then some of the exemptions might be overturned by things like local government setting its own rules for facilities. And you're kind of like, like why even do it? You know, spinning around in circles, wondering what, uh, what am I supposed to, you know, it's a really leaky boat ultimately. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to have it, have it. And uh, I think it goes into effect next week. I believe so. Yeah. Have you gotten yeah. your, like, how do you even do it? How do you get it? I haven't looked into uh, that. Yet, there's obviously. like a website. I went. I started to do it, and there's a provincial website. And but you need numbers from both sides of your health card. Yeah. And I think I was on my phone, and I'm like, forget it. I'm not, I, I can't manage this right now. Well, you, so I'll have to. You don't need that. You're not leaving your house anytime in the next six months. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm concerned that you're in a hermit mode. We we need to. Uh, would you Would you be willing to go out out on a patio somewhere and have a beer at some point? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, I got we got to nail that down because I think you're going to Howard Hughes on me here. <laughs> okay, let's do that. And before the snow flies, we should do an in-person podcast, even if we do it outside. Because this thing, I don't know if you know that the, the the that machine we both use, that Rodecaster Pro, has a battery pack. You can actually do a podcast like out without a power source. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, I got one of those. You plug it in, boom, you're good to go. So, so we'll go find All a right. spot in the woods. We'll have a little picnic. <laughs> we'll do a little podcast. <laughs> People will hear the birds That's, chirping in the background. That's fantastic. Or by, totally weird. Attacked by coyotes. Okay, so that's just that's a little quick one, not a big deal, but it just it's like why why now? The the other one, and this is a couple days, uh, I think it was just a couple days after our last episode came out. September 11th was obviously last weekend, twenty years since the terrorist attacks, and every year um, there are brands who kind of overstep in terms of what they think they should be doing in terms of marketing. And you see a lot of people on social media sharing the emails they're getting from brands. And the one that I thought was the most ridiculous that I just wanted to share with everybody was from uh, Party City. So if you're not familiar with Party City, this is the place where you go to get, you know, balloons and helium and stuff for birthdays. It's like Party City, just like it sounds. And their logo is all these different colored letters. Anyway, they sent out this email in a little red box and it says, 20 years ago, our world was changed forever. On this day, we reflect on the events of September 11th, and we promise to never forget the selflessness of ordinary people who became heroes, especially our first responders and those who made the ultimate sacrifice, Party City. And the woman who tweeted that puts right underneath it, so this is her her tweet, not mine, brand that sells balloons and racist Halloween costumes wants to know it's sad about September 11th. There are lots of brands that do this, and it's it's kind of distasteful and it's like, you know, everyone wants to get uh, we got to do something about the 20th anniversary. But do you not to single out that one company, but what are your thoughts about this in general? And uh, when should uh, marketing people just keep their head down? You know, this goes back to something we talked about before, where there's these moments where something happens and, and brands sometimes generally need to weigh in on social issues or other things. Um other times where it's like, ah, it doesn't quite seem to match the brand. In this case, I think maybe Party City could find a different way of doing this. Because obviously the, is it irony? Or is there dissonance? I'm not sure what the right word is to describe it. But it just, it just it kind of undermines the thing they're trying to do. It rubs you the wrong way a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to put your finger on it, but it's like this happy peppy balloons and unicorns and masks and just this really somber message, but it's still got the goofy little fonts and everything. It just, it seems. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's the thing, right? Maybe that's the time when you need to ditch the brand, um, the normal branding that goes along with it so that it, it, uh, it you know matches more what you're trying to what you're trying to convey, and you know this isn't a very Canadian thing because Canadian firms don't typically do this, but obviously in the U.S. it's a big thing every year, and this being the 20th anniversary, it was a big deal. So I can understand totally why the corporation wanted to wanted to do something, but um, pulling it off maybe maybe me uh, pulling off these unique remembrances maybe needs to take a different approach than you would normally do if it was just you know slapping the brand on you know Veterans Day or valentine's day or whatever it happens to be but is it is it does it help you know is it wouldn't it be wouldn't they be better off if they just 
like, let's sit this one out. Because, you know, you can you can imagine all these people that they used to be sitting around in a boardroom. Now they're sitting around on Zoom and team calls saying, you know, I really think we should do something. It's 20 years. And then someone gets forced into writing some stuff and they're probably thinking, oh, we probably shouldn't be doing this. And some marketing managers like uh, send and they how many millions of people do they have on their email list? And like, is it helping at all? Does it help your relationship and your connection with the brand? I don't know. I don't know. Yep. Probably not, but I think you isolated the thing there, right? There's, there's probably like one person, a senior person, who thinks it's an expectation that the brand be seen doing something. And it's more, it's not really thought through well. And it's just sort of the, this, this, this idea that there's an expectation we do it, so we have to do it. Because it's harder not to do it. And then having to say, oh, why aren't you, why aren't you commemorating this somehow? Mm. So your advice to brands for the next um, similar anniversary or something like that. Like, and it's a very specific, very traumatic, very dark anniversary. What's your, what's your blanket advice to, uh, to, so, to marketing managers? So rather than, I don't want to say it's empty, but rather than, you know, a very sort of, like it's a bunch of words, right? So they, they put out, they put out a, a graphic, an email, a tweet or whatever with a bunch of words in it. Maybe it's more meaningful to, to have a partnership with a charity or have a partnership with some philanthropic organization where you're contributing something or you're doing something to, you know, uh, in this, that speaks to the spirit of what the kind of thing you wanted to, you want people to think about on a, on a day like this, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's like, um, community giving or, you know, some sort of social cause in the community that you want people to, to lean into. Like I, I do something like that focuses on that where it's, it's referenced, you know, this anniversary is referenced, but it's not, um, uh, it's not, it's not the core thing. The core thing is this, this philanthropic, um, opportunity you're putting forward. I do something like that. Or maybe, I think that's just more meaningful. Or maybe they make a corporate donation. Uh, yeah. you know, that note, without the goofy branding and saying, and on behalf of the employees of Party City, we've donated $150,000 to the uh, Survivors Fund of September 11th or something like that. Like, that's that's a worthwhile note. But other, you're right. It's just, it's words. Blah, 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 send. And then they're yeah. all feeling proud of themselves. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I would do. So Party City, you are in our sights. <clears throat> okay next i saw this story the other day on twitter and these stories uh drive me crazy on a couple levels one of them is as a parent one is as a human being and the other one is from the point of view of crisis management media relations so the toronto star had a story about a um uh, the principal of a school, it was called the Convoy International Secondary Academy. I have to say I haven't heard of it before, but um, there were, uh, the, the Toronto Star was doing an investigation that the principal of the school, a guy who goes by the name of Antonio Ross, had lost his uh, teaching license in the recent past because of um, sexual misconduct or sexual assault allegations. Um, and and when you read this guy's um filed there's a bunch of these things that go back a number of years he was charged in um, 2010 with five counts of sexual assault 
He was acquitted on those. He was charged again in 2018 when he was working at York Region at the school board there. And some really disturbing sorts of uh, stories and situations with uh, with young males. And some of them, I guess, had developmental issues. And so anyway, it's a, it's a really uh, creepy story. But what got my... my um, what got my spider sense going was the the fact that the reason that the story was published by the Toronto Star, uh, well, of course, there was the transgressions by this individual, but it was that the school knew that someone was digging around and they had gone through their website and they had scrubbed any reference of this individual from their website to try to hide the fact that he had been working there. That's the only thing that I can guess is that they were trying to hide it. So Apparently, there was a video of him like, hey, welcome to the school. Look at over here. This is what we do, blah, blah, blah. And now that's all gone. His LinkedIn profile is gone. Any reference of him is gone. And they said that numerous calls to the school and to him have gone unanswered. And even today, uh, two or three days after the story came out, it's unclear whether he's the principal or not. So I'd like to get your reactions on this from a crisis management standpoint, because now the story is really the fact that the school has tried to cover it up. No one has done an interview on this. There is no spokesperson on the record with uh, with a full name. <laughs> you mentioned that there's someone with uh, a first name. So w- what are your thoughts on this? So, you know, if you're, I, I've worked with independent schools quite a bit. And if you're in the business, because uh, they are businesses, uh, if you're in the business of teaching children, your reputation is obviously really, really important. And your reputation is, I think, derived from the um, caliber of people you hire, the way you, you know, that quality of education you provide students. And, you know, just in every, in every way you operate, the care and diligence you take, because obviously people are entrusting you with your, with their children. And many of these schools, they're boarding schools. So there's children coming from overseas or different parts of Ontario or Canada, and they're living there as well as going to school there. So it's huge responsibility, and it's it's hugely important that, mm-hmm. you know, people take it seriously. In this case, it seems like, you know, the moment that a spotlight was shone on this guy and whether or not the people running the school knew his history or not, it's unclear. But, you know as soon as the spotlight went on the school, they did the thing that is, is just sets off alarm bells to journalists, right? They all of a sudden start nothing to see here, deleting things and, (laughs) you know, uh, being unresponsive and it it, it just draws even more attention. What's that? Smashing hard drives, shredding documents. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. It's, it just, they, they seem to be taking like doing all the things that, you know, the fight or flight exactly. uh, impulse tells you to do, but is, as you and I know, from a media relations standpoint and crisis management, it's all the wrong stuff to do. When you read this, what, what were your thoughts about them? <clears throat> well, it's clear that they don't have anyone counseling them on how to handle this. And, or if they do, they're not listening to them because this is, and you know, it's like, this is the stuff we just pound on all the time. And I, you know, it's, you can't you can't figure out how to handle a crisis the day that it takes place. And this is why we harp about the need for training and the need for simulations and to build those muscles in the boardroom ahead of time so that when something happens, you need to do it. Um, you know, you mentioned it's not clear whether the school knew about these allegations or charges or not. And, and so either way, it brings up some really uh, difficult questions, especially if you're a parent with a kid in the school. If 
did they do screening and did they know? And so if the answer is yes, that's troubling. So obviously there's different rules for private schools versus public schools in Ontario. So you can have these sorts of um, charges, lose your license in a public school. You can still teach in a private school. So maybe that's another issue as well. So if they knew, huge problem. If they didn't know, just as big of a problem. Do you not have Google? So the guy's name used to be Anthony Ross and now he's changed it to Antonio Maybe like get a 12 year old who knows how to use Google and figure out, like, just do a little, do a little research on this guy. Where's the last school you're at? Maybe give someone a jingle, you know, because they're charging families $10,000 a year per kid to go to the school. And now um, you, you talk about the importance of reputation. They're not answering calls. There's no accountability. Is he still the principal? Is he not? Like what I'd like to see is someone, whether it's someone from the board, someone from the staff, I don't know, some representative from the school come out, do a video and say, we have learned about these um, allegations. This guy is no longer with us. We have zero tolerance for this. We want to apologize deeply for this, whatever it was, a lapse in judgment, lapse in screening, whatever the case may be. And this is not what our school stands for. And you you take it from there and kick him to the curb, whatever the case may be. And then you start getting on the phone with parents and you start to repair that stuff. None of that has happened right now. And so to me, this is, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I did a search for it and there's not even a ton of stories. There's like three stories. I think Toronto Star, St. Catharines and CBC. And that's, that's kind of it. There's not, not a lot of comments underneath it. Maybe everyone's busy with the election or the whole COVID fourth wave, but I'm, I'm surprised that this story hasn't generated a little bit more um, attention. Maybe it will um, as, as days go on. Um, and the other thing that comes to mind is like, if I'm a, if I'm a journalist, like, you know, numerous calls, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not responded to, like, go to his house, grab your camera, socially distant reporter visit, <laughs> put your uh-huh. mask on, knock on his door. You know those old ones where the guys would run into his car and putting his jacket over his head? Like, why don't we have... <laughs> that's a terrible way to do an interview. <laughs> but why don't we have that anymore? Why is it... And it goes back to the theme that comes up time after time, the erosion in journalism, less reporters, yeah. doing more work, too many stories to cover. It's like trying to fight a forest fire with a forest fire with a garden hose. Like, where do you aim this thing? But I would love to see someone walk up to this guy at the grocery store at his house and get some answers or the people who like, it just, it feels like the thing I kind of resent and not to make this a too much of a ramble is like, it seems like they're doing all the wrong stuff from a crisis management standpoint, but it seems to be working. They seem to be getting away with it. There's no, they don't really have a social media profile. They don't have a Twitter account. Um, the media story is not becoming that big. Like maybe they'll just ride it out. And we've seen this happen so many times since we started this podcast. And then it, it kind of drives me crazy because they seem to be, doing all the wrong things and it seems to be kind of working for them. It's, it's very early in this one. Things might change, but it's uh, this, this kind well, of stuff you drives know, me crazy. So you're, I think you're right. And I think you're right in the sense that there's so much other news right now and so many other th- competing things happening in, in, um, in the media that would, they're really taking a lot of the oxygen away. But I think what's probably going to happen here is that, you know, the media part of it is one thing. But the whole other dimension to a situation like this is all the other stakeholders that a school like this should be communicating with. And they're going to start seeing this, these stories, even though there are a few of them. And, and that's going to lead to tons of questions from parents and their families and what is actually going on over there. And 
uh, you know, that, that, that pressure is going to build up from that side and there's going to be leaks to media from that side. If the school does talk to families. So I, I don't, I, even though it feels like they may be getting lucky with the way the media happens to be right now, I, I think um, it's not going to necessarily last for them. And to your, to your point about how this is, if you're actually going to manage this, you got to manage it quickly because the longer you let this metastasize, the worse and worse the the damages, and the harder harder it is to repair it. If this was a if this was a more reputable, well, I, I shouldn't say they're not reputable because I don't know anything about them. If this is a school that you knew more about, like a larger independent school in Canada, you know they have boards of directors, and and to your point, they would be the ones, you know, directing the the, the management of the school to take appropriate action because they have this sort of fiduciary duty as a board to run the school appropriately. This may be one of those schools where it's just a small independent business that one person owns. And you see like Montessori schools like that. I remember there was a Montessori school not too far away from us here, Warren, that um, the principal got arrested. um, This is like a year ago. The principal got arrested on child pornography charges. And so oh, what happens in a place like that. that? I remember seeing that. Is that the one by Subway? It's, it's uh, no, no, it's, oh. it's closer. Anyway. For all you folks out there who know where we live, I'm just exactly, referring yeah. to the neighborhood, neighborhood landmarks. But, but at any rate, you know, th- those places don't necessarily have all the, all the, the benefit of a board and, you know, the sort of insight that comes from having professionals on the board who realize that reputation is really important and you got to manage it closely. So it'd be interesting to see what happens in this case. Cause I have a feeling we haven't seen the last of it. I hope not. I hope they, I hope they, uh, I, I, I would just like to see, uh, someone put under, um, scrutiny and, and, you know, a, to answer some tough questions. So I think some heads are going to have to roll with this one. And uh, if I was a parent, I would be, uh, visiting the school or, or yanking my kid out of there. That's unacceptable. You know, you know, not to kind of riff in real time here, but <clears throat> the thing that it brings up in my mind and uh, someone actually sent me a note about this in the last uh, week is the whole situation at Western that you've probably seen. Oh yeah. Flash week and the, um, you know, there's allegations made on social media that a bunch of um, females were uh, drugged at a party or something was put in drinks and people started, you know, dropping like flies. And so this blew up on social media and it became this really big story. It was one of the trending topics on Twitter and, um, you know, gender based violence and misogynistic culture and party culture and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's been, you know, and as you know, I, I went to Western really, you know, enjoyed my time there. I have very you know fond memories of the school. So this is a troubling story to see. And, you know, I have a kid who's contemplating universities and this is one of the places that had been on her list. Right. And so, um, some interesting things have happened or not happened in the past couple of days since that story came out, there's been very little police involvement. Uh, the police are doing an investigation now, but they've said that not a lot of people have come forward. So of all these reports, they're not seeing a lot of calls and you have to wonder, is that because of, and you think of the work that um, Robin Doolittle did with the Globe and Mail a couple of years ago where just it, you know, women will make these reports and their lives just become a living hell. They're not believed, they're scrutinized, they're kind of blamed the victim and it just doesn't end well. So is it, is it that, was it, 
an exaggeration? Was it a social media kind of prank? Who knows? But the school seems to be taking it very seriously. But there's there's a lot of stuff going on. And not to say that this is the only place where, where, where stuff like this happens. It's unfortunately um, all over the place. And well, uh, Alan Shepard, the president of the school, sent out a letter. Did you see it at all? I didn't, no. I'm going to give it a quick read. <clears throat> and I'd like to, uh, we can just chat about it. So this is September 14th, 2021. Western community members, I know many of you will have heard social media reports of events that took place this past weekend. These are very disturbing reports, and Western is working around the clock to gather the facts and act upon them. Let me be very clear. Sexual violence will never be tolerated on our campus. Given the seriousness of the allegations on social media, London Police Service has opened an investigation, and Western will work closely with them. This joint activity will begin immediately. At this time, Western and LPS, that's the police, have received very little information related to the social media reports, and we're asking anyone with more details to please come forward. Unconnected to what we're seeing on social media, Western has received four formal complaints of sexual violence from students over the past week. We've taken swift and strong action in these cases, including facilitating arrest and removing students from residence while investigations are ongoing. These cases do not appear to be connected to each other. As the facts continue to unfold, we are working to support students and ensure they feel safe. We've increased security in residence and have on-site confidential counseling and specialized gender-based violence and survivor support professionals available to students. If you or someone you know has been impacted by sexual violence, we have survivor-focused supports in place, including a dedicated gender-based violence and survivor support case manager. Survivors have support options, including disclosure, disclosure, filing a complaint, and or requesting support in emergency situations, and they have a bunch of links to different police services and health resources. Students and residents can also contact their residence Dawn, front desk, and residence life coordinator, and it goes on and on and on like that. Um... And then I cannot close out without acknowledging the death of one of our students this past weekend, first-year student Gabriel Neal. We are devastated by the senseless loss and are heartbroken for his family, friends, and all who knew him. While this terrible tragedy is unconnected to the other incidents this weekend, I know it has resulted in heightened concern for safety on campus. Please be assured this case is being thoroughly investigated by the London Police Service and a suspect from the London communities in custody. We are all experiencing a difficult start to the school year, and I am certain no one feels this more deeply than our students. We are here for you. Okay, long letter. Sorry for the the, the sort of, you know, how long that took. But uh, just in, in real time, what are your thoughts? That was a pretty good letter, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he's not making it about the school. He's not making it about himself. He's making it about the students and talking about what's available to them to support them so i thought it was pretty good what'd you think i did i liked it as well i thought it was um it seemed um the language was pretty strong and you know the the thing that stood out to me was uh arrest and expulsion or whatever i think they basically facilitating an arrest and expulsion of a student um and that's you know ultimately like you said with party city words are easy even writing a letter this great is just words and it's the actions so mm-hmm. they talked about increasing security they talked about all these resources that are available um, I can, yeah, I don't know this individual, but it's, it sounds like he's being professional, but he's like angry underneath. And like, that's, I, and I'm sure, I'm sure someone else probably wrote this letter on his behalf. You know, maybe not, but I'm just guessing based on the work we do, someone from communications or whatever probably drafted this or maybe crisis management firm. But, um, yeah, on the whole, um, I thought it was, uh, it was a good letter. It'd be interesting to see how they followed up with, with action and steps. Yeah, and you know, I think you're raising a good point. The underlying anger there, because this is the sort of thing that will 
10 years from now that people will talk about, right? That the start of that school year when these, this, these confluence of events came together and, and it's going to be, uh, yeah, they're going to have to manage this for a long time. You're right. They do have those and not to confuse them or to compare them, but you have these events that become almost folklore in the community. Um, I think of the one, was it Queens where they were like tear gassing students at, uh-huh. a, at a frost week yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And then what was the other, and there's that always that urban legend in Toronto, about the guy who jumped out the window cause he was trying to show everybody how strong the glass was. Do you, do you ever hear that one? Oh yeah. No, he, that actually happened. <laughs> but like I worked in that building. <laughs> Yeah, I did. <laughs> I was up on the 35th floor, but everybody's like, oh, did you hear the story about the guy? Yeah. And so you know that that actually happened? Yeah, hundred percent. Cause I worked in that building too. <laughs> and, uh, I could, I'll send you the wiki page on it later. Oh my God. So for anyone who is maybe not from the Toronto area and is not familiar with this, do you want to kind of just quickly run over the story? Sure. Uh, it's a tragic story, but there was a law firm in TD tower and it was up, yeah, on the 35th floor or something. And this one lawyer, what, what, one of the things he would do uh, to impress clients. And you others have to describe is, this building, too. You have to describe it. So it's a it tall, like. very tall building. It's like 55 stories. Um, it's architecturally significant uh, in Toronto. It's like very black and large, huge windows on it. Like floor to ceiling, basically. Floor to ceiling glass. windows. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, I remember I was lucky enough when I worked in it, it was like 39th floor facing the lake. It was beautiful, nice. beautiful view. But yeah, the windows are massive. They go from floor to ceiling. Ceilings are probably, I don't know, 12 feet high. Like they're really, really tall on every floor. And he, what he would do is he would uh, launch himself, run at the window, launch himself up against it uh, to show people how strong the window was. And uh, it was strong up until the last time he did it when the window gave way and he fell to his death. What what year yeah. was this roughly? This you know? is like in the eighties. I'm pretty sure. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine being one of the people standing. There. <laughs> like so, talk about you know problems. I, in fact, I think the law firm dissolved afterwards. It was just it was uh, one of those things where uh, it was cat- catastrophic on many levels. But like that, you know, unless you really really trust those architects and those contractors. You know what I mean? Like, well, but even, even if they like, and obviously he did it multiple times. So it, it was <clears throat> strong enough to prevent it, but it's not designed to stop people from smashing, like throw it themselves against it. Oh right. It's God. designed to be a window. The life of so, a party. Anyway. Eh, segue or, uh, sorry, we digress. And the but other one, know, I want to go back to something you said, uh, oh, yeah. about, you know, the, the, I think, <clears throat> from a communication standpoint, the other thing that, that, that the university has, and the, the president started to do this in the letter, but it's really hard to make people comfortable to come forward to, you know, yeah. share, share when something like this has happened to them. Like I'm thinking of the women who were, who were, were drugged. And, and oftentimes it's because, you know, it just really isn't a culture of listening and communications is a lot about listening. Right. And there's not a culture of listening in, in a lot of spaces. And, mm-hmm. One of them, it, it it's certainly within police, like they've got like a just, I think, a reputation of not being the greatest listeners when it comes to people making allegations like this. Mm. And so it's very difficult. And, and actually, just ironically, this came up in the, in the news just recently as well in the U.S. where the director of the FBI apologized to the women who... Uh, 
many of whom were were Olympic gymnasts who were assaulted by that doctor from oh, Michigan. Larry Nasser. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one of the women who was speaking to Congress said, um, you know, she, when she finally got the ability to talk to police, and the FBI were investigating, she told her story of what happened to her. Um, and the, the reaction from the FBI agent was, is that all? And she said that was like the most painful thing that happened to her. And I can totally imagine that, you know, you, you bring, get the, the, the courage up to tell the story and, and that's the response you get. Mm. Anyway, I, I just think like there, there, that's going to be um, like, obviously there's multiple things happening at Western with, you know, a student being murdered and these other things. And you kind of have to disentangle them eventually to deal with the safety issues that are related to each of them separately. But they're going to have a lot of work to do to make people feel safe. I think like a lot of cities and I was in London, I think two years ago for a sort of class reunion kind of thing and um, toured through the downtown area. It has dramatically changed <clears throat> obviously since, you know, I went to school a million years ago, but um, the, the homeless population, the, just the general sketchiness of there. I saw a guy, I was at a red light and I saw a guy who was obviously inebriated older guy get hit by a car on a bike. Did I tell you the story? No. A couple of years ago, he's going, and I could see it happening in slow motion. The guy's going through the, he, he was going right through a red light and a car started and hit him and he flew up in the air and he landed all contorted, called the police and the guy's lying there, blood gushing out of his head. And uh, I'm like, it was very, very shocking and jarring. And he, I, you know, they took him away to the hospital. I think he was okay. I saw the newspaper story the next day, but talked to the cop and he's just like, I was very rattled and the cops like, yeah, you know, whatever. like th this stuff's happening all the time. And so I think this has huge implications for schools like this, where the surrounding community, like, you know, this, this kid was like walking to the store and he got jumped and, and stabbed and, and now he's dead first year kid. And that's, that's not good PR. That's not good marketing for your, uh, for your recruitment program. And so it would be, this is something that I would really like to see them take uh, take seriously and take real action on. You know, I, I you know I'm not a scientist. I wish I really wish I were sometimes. But like, why don't they have, you know, those cups, those party cups or whatever that you you know those red and blue yeah. plastic cups? Why don't they have those lined with a material that if it comes into contact with any of those date rape drugs, that it turns a different color or like a swizzle yeah. stick that like starts glowing or something? Like, there's got to be your, there's your there's your Business idea, Warren, right there. I don't know how to make stuff. Like ideas are a dime a dozen, but like if you're a science nerd out there, like this is, um, you know, I, and I heard a story. There was, I forget where this was, but I think it was a bar somewhere in the States where someone, and this is just how they do business. They, they, they one woman walked, walked up to the bartender and said, I just saw someone put a, put something in someone's drink and they turn on all the lights. They stop the music and they basically said, we want to know who did this right now. Everybody poured out their drinks. They filled free drinks for everybody. And it was just like, this is not acceptable here. And these people mm. have to get out. Like, and I have to say, that's this might be my, my, the Clint Eastwood in me, but like, I don't, I don't know if what you would do if, if you're, you know, God forbid we have, you know, kids, if one of our kids was affected by something like this, I, I have to think I, I, I think it's a pretty good bet that I'd be in that residence knocking on doors and doing a little, mm -hmm. doing a little investigating myself and maybe pulling someone out by the hair and mm -hmm. having a little, uh, yeah, you, <laughs> this is my calm, cool approach. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I can only imagine what those families are going through and those kids just terrible, terrible situation. 
And who, how are, how are you raising your kids to think that this is acceptable at all? Just ridiculous. Anyway, oh, I know rant over. Um, another story that just popped up while I was um, looking through one of the other ones on my computer. And, and again, sorry to pop these up in real time is the whole Kevin O'Leary, Linda O'Leary thing with the, uh, their boat. You're familiar oh, yeah. with the accident. So everyone knows Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. And he was on Dragon's Den here. Um, two years ago, they were involved in a, in a, in a crash. Linda O'Leary has been found not guilty in connection to a boat crash that killed two people in central Ontario two years ago. And so this, um, trial has been going on for quite some time and the the circumstances are they were boating at night and they hit a boat that had its lights off you're supposed to have your lights on two people were killed and then the boats took off in different directions there was a lot of chaos around it um the thing that i wanted to bring up is i've been seeing kevin o'leary as this um as this trial has been unfolding i've seen him on social media talking about his watch collection, playing the guitar, just, hmm. you know, cooking in his kitchen. Like this is a guy without a care in the world, just living. And, and it didn't seem that he was trying to ignore what was going on. It seemed to me that this, and I, this is complete speculation and conjecture on my part, but it seemed to me that during this very tense, very high stakes trial, that he was going out of his way to project an air of normalcy and everything is fine. And I think that was part of the legal defense to just as, as a general, just in putting the stuff out there, everything's fine. Here's a little song I learned. You know what I mean? Like no one's guilty here. So it just, I found that kind of peculiar. What are you, uh, have you seen any of that stuff that he, that he does? I, I, I haven't. And obviously his, his personality is his brand, right? So, uh, that's a fine edge to, to walk because like one of those situations where it feels like events can just like come together. And unfortunately like, you know, people, people died as a result, like, um, yeah, wrong place, wrong time, you know, yeah. Maybe I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of factors that that led into it, but uh, no, it, and and that's like that's a real tough thing to to try and manage. But he's got to keep. I think he's got to keep managing his brand because that's where I think it, the his actual his actual income comes from versus uh, whatever else he does. Do you know that a lot of those Shark Tank and Dragon's Den people? Like obviously Mark Cuban is a billionaire, but like especially for Dragons and you know that a lot of that is kind of just it's it's not a scam, but it's kind of smoke and mirrors. Are you are you aware mm-hmm. of this? Like I, I interviewed you telling me about this. I interviewed Brett Wilson, the the dragon from uh, he was one of the first people I interviewed on my my podcast, and he was saying that when they were doing um, when they were doing interviews to become a dragon, all you needed was two hundred fifty thousand dollars of investable assets to be a dragon on the show. And obviously a personality and this and that. And then he was also saying that he did by far the most deals of anybody on that show. I think he did 34 deals and actually like did them. Wow. And he was saying that as part of the show, like it's all just Hollywood, right? And he he'd said that even if you came to a deal and they shook hands and oh my God and slapping each other on the back, there was no obligation for you to actually do the deal. And he said what would happen a lot of times is you do the deal for TV and then afterwards you're doing your due diligence and anyone who did like, Oh, well like we tweaked this or I didn't like that. You could just flush it down the toilet. Just walk away. Do, yeah. Just walk away. And hmm. so, um, and he said that without naming names, he said that he had the two fifty no problem, but he said that a lot of people who became dragons on that show had trouble scrounging up the two fifty to be a dragon on the show. 
Hmm. Well, and that's what TV is, right? It's, less, <laughs> it's a tough it's a lot business. It's believe sometimes. But I used to think, like, I'm watching this show, and it's, it's an entertaining format. It is. I've, I've watched a bunch of that. It's interesting. But I used to think, like, if these people are so smart and so rich, what are they doing wasting all this time being on the show? Because they want to be on TV. <laughs> <laughs> Some people really like being on TV. You're exactly right, but 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 you're that that is that's now how they're making their money. You know what I mean? And because he's he's the guy on TV, she's the woman that's on right. TV, and people. Yeah. So it's like uh, it's just it's very it's kind of disheartening. Um, so the other thing I want to bring up, and I need to be careful how I phrase this, is so have you been a lot, on a lot of boats in your life? I wouldn't say a lot, but some. Have you been on the boats of like uh, like a, with another couple? And someone like it's their boat. Uh, maybe once or twice. I, don't, I can't really say. Okay. Do you recall one of those situations specifically? Um, okay. There's, there's wait, a point wait. to this. I'm not, I'm not stalking you. There's Let's say yes. Yes, I do. Do you remember who was driving the boat? Yes. Who was driving the boat? The guy. Do you see where I'm going here? Uh, no, I, help, help me out. I need more breadcrumbs. So. Oh, so you think he, he was, he was really driving the boat. Maybe I, and, I don't think anything. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just throwing questions around. I, I think, I think that would have been, I think the thing, the people who were driving the boat were driving the boat. You think his wife was driving the boat? Yeah, I think so. That's a police investigation. I'm sure would have turned up anything, anything different. How? I would assume at some point people are not going to want to people died. It's pretty serious. Business. It is very serious for sure. Yeah. I just, I, I don't, you know, there's, I've seen a lot of speculation online that maybe he was driving the, and the, the, the problem is he was, he was crushed. Eh? He was, he was, he was, uh, he was drunk. Yeah. 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 And apparently that's not advisable to be, you are not allowed to drive. Especially, and so not saying anything, you know, the legal report is she was driving the boats and, and all of that, but, uh, it just, you know, who knows, right? Like there's no dash yeah. cams, there's no eyewitnesses. It was dark. There's a lot of stuff going on and it yeah. was just, uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and the last one that we have is we're going to end on a, like a positive note. A lot of doom and gloom on this podcast. And I say we, we, we do look for positive stories. And I, I saw one last weekend. So September 11th again. And I'm watching Layla Fernandez, Canada's new sweetheart. And Canada's kicking butt in tennis in the last couple of years as well. Mm-hmm. And both women who were there were born in Canada. One was born, I think, in Toronto. One was born in Montreal. Um, the one from Great Britain was born in Canada as well. Anyway. So Layla Fernandez comes out of nowhere and goes to the final of the U.S. Open and and does a fantastic job. And at the end, she is. Uh, did you watch it at all? I didn't. It was. I, wa- I watched the whole match. It was great. And so, at the end, she gets her like second place kind of platter thing, and she's really upset. Like she she's not just pleased to be number two. She wanted to win. And at the end, she was she was staging this this little comeback, and she was. She was losing, but she was really digging in and, and coming back, and she was on a roll. And the woman that she was playing against kind of slid on the ground and cut her leg, and then there was, like, blood running down her leg. So she had a five-minute medical timeout. And as you know, in a lot of sports, you call a timeout, and it can really change the momentum. And she was boom, 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 and then the timeout, and she came back, and then the other woman, bang, 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 and it was over. So she was crying, and she was complaining to the officials. Like, this was a Band-Aid. Like, this was a Band-Aid situation. 
five seconds and it turned into a five minute break. So she's just sitting there looking around and it was just devastating. So that ended up crushing her dreams and keep in mind her age. And I try to think like, how poised were you when you were, when you had just turned 19 years old, I was a mullet wearing, barely functional human being. (laughs) I didn't know how to cook. Couldn't do laundry. It was a mess. And I think of this woman, she's getting this platter and she, she makes a couple comments. And then after she asks to have the microphone back and then she says the following at center court at the U S open in front of all these people and millions on TV. I know this on this day, it was especially hard for New York and everyone around the, the United States. I just want to say that I hope I can be as strong and as resilient as New York has been the past 20 years. It's amazing. Like I, uh, composure is the impressive. The fact that she was able to do that. Crazy brings tears yeah. to the eye. And so you look at the, the poise of that kid and I have high hopes for her and her career. There are many, and I, I think you'd back me up on this. There are many executives, many seasoned adult people twice her age that wouldn't be able to pull that off. Oh yeah. <clears throat> I'm not sure I could. <laughs> on a stage like that. <laughs> Like that, that, that's, you know, the new Norm Macdonald, John Paranak, look at you (laughs) dropping the bombs. Uh, Anyway, I wanted to end on that nice little palate cleanser after all these horrible stories we were talking about. Oh, that's a good one. And you know what? It makes you proud to see, you know, young athletes like that from Canada, like competing at such a high level. And then really, you know, again, especially in losing, demonstrating such poise is makes you feel great about great about them. You know what I find really interesting, and I'm the furthest thing from a professional athlete, but I'm watching this match, and I've been watching all kinds of different sports since I was young, and tennis is a special one because you're out there by yourself. I used to be an Andre Agassi fan, and you would see when a player would get rattled and something would get into their head, and it would, they'd mess up shots and things. These young players have ice in their veins. Mm-hmm. The fact that she's in, like, there's no reason she should be in this situation, and she seemed very cool with it. Um, so really, really good to see anything else you want to mention before we uh, wrap things up for this week. Uh, no, good discussion. Got a couple of ideas for next week. Oh, what? Give us some teasers. Well, I think, I think we, I think I want to do this thing. I want to, I want us to look at, uh, maybe if it's not next week when the upcoming weeks, uh, like a top five list, like there's enough people who we've looked at celebrities, professional athletes, you know, business people, over the years that I, I want to come, I want us to do like a top five, a top 10 of people who have either um, blown up their reputations or maybe we can do a list of people who have really built, built a really strong reputation and maybe we can take some lessons from each of those. Nice. I like that. Why don't we try that for next week? We'll I'll start coming up with our lists. Sounds good. Excellent. Thanks very much. And we'll see you next week. Thanks Warren. Thanks for stopping by. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, or recommend the show. See you next time.